Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Sachs. March 11th, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist and young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72, preach it, brother, 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Join us tonight as we raise awareness for National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month with celebrity young adult survivor Pat Spain from National Geographic's acclaimed show Beast Hunter. And joining Pat will be Andrew Spiegel, CEO of Colon Cancer Alliance, Cindy Barassi with Colon Cancer Challenge Foundation, and Dr. Thomas Weber of the National Colorectal Cancer Roundtable. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, broadcasting live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And with that, our self-ingratiating applause. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hello. Annie. Hi, Matthew. You're looking hairful. Yeah, it's getting there. It's getting there. Looks I've actually good. been cutting it. I'm keeping it short. Looks good. The short's here to stay. Kenny, your scruff is always appealing. It's, yeah, it's, I have no excuse. <laughs> His shirt keeps distracting me because it says, love your nuts. Yes. Yes, love your nuts. My favorite shirt you shouldn't wear in public. <laughs> well, we have special guests tonight. We are we, joined. We do. We do. By the lovely and talented Allison Ward. Hello, hello. Welcome back to New York. Thank you very much. Allie Ward, who is our trans telecommuting professional robot warrior. Um, she's, is, a, she's a, a robot advocate yeah. warrior. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where the robot came from. But no, because you're like methodical it. and you get this shit done. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'll take that as a compliment. compliment. Um, and we are also joined by a friend of mine who I bumped into randomly on the Katie Kirk show. Not that I was on the show, but I was at the show last Friday, Vanessa Gigliotti. Hello. 
Hi, how are you? How you doing? Good, good. It was kind of fortuitous that we bumped into each other because tonight's show is about colon cancer. It is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. You happened to be at the Katie Couric audience, and I saw you there, and I met your, was that your mom? That was my mom. She's great. She's a great caregiver. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor. Yep. Diagnosed 27, way too young, and um, she's great. This is great. I'm, I'm really happy to be here, actually. No, it's cool. I'm Maddie Beckett, live from the radio. How you doing, buddy? Another colon cancer Another colon survivor. cancer survivor. It's kind of like one of those things where, like, is it me or is it, like, you know, when, when you first notice something. Like, when I first bought a Subaru, I had never seen a Subaru on the road in my life. And then I only saw Subarus on the road. Is it kind of like that where, like, you meet one colon cancer and then, like, oh, they're all over the place? I feel like that with breast cancer because I guess because I just of who I tend to meet at the events I go to. Right. But I feel like they multiply. Like, when I was diagnosed, I never thought that, like, 30-year-olds or even 20-year-olds could get breast cancer. I thought it was, like, grandma disease and the occasional, like, 40-year-olds would get it. Right. And then I was like, holy sweet Jesus. <laughs> like, 30-year-olds can get breast cancer, apparently. Right. But, like, it, it, and it's also, um, you know, it, it's just uh, the Katie show that I was at that Vanessa was at was a show dedicated entirely to cancer. And it was Katie's first show on cancer since she had her new show, which launched in the fall. And I was told she was very nervous, and she had a lot of great guests. Maura Tierney, who was on the mm-hmm. show, was there. Fran Drescher, who was on the show, was on there. Actually, wasn't she astounding? Like, I had goosebumps. I was tearing. Fran doesn't I mean. know how to stop talking, but she's fabulous, and she knows her shit, for sure. Yeah. So, and um, Shannon Miller was on, the Olympic person. She's been a guest on our show. Katie's rating our talent. <laughs> she's listened to our show so many times. Yeah, she's she just, just went through our previous. Her Catholic. bookers are like spies on, spying on our show. Absolutely, just, you're just too cool. But it, but the show is great. I mean, it was like you, you can't fit every cancer into a 41 minute broadcast. You know, they did seven segments for an hour long show. The commercial breaks, whatever. But and they're going to edit everything. Gets cut in post anyway. So they discussed what was it? They had uh, there was a colon cancer, right? There was a uterine cancer. There was ovarian cancer. There was... Um, Maura Tierney had breast cancer. Breast cancer, Maura Tierney. And um, wasn't it throat cancer? Was it, yeah, was esophageal cancer. Right, right, because um, Blythe Danner was there because her husband, um, Bruce Paltrow, died from esophageal cancer. Mm-hmm. That's right. So and then they actually actually apologized. Like, I'm so sorry we didn't get to talk about pediatric cancer. But the one thing I will say was that a significant portion, and hopefully you'll agree with me, of that show focused on how it was different to be young, which is really a big deal. Which is a big deal from 11 years ago when I was diagnosed and there was nothing. Right, no. right. Because, I mean, everyone, Maura, Fran, Shannon, were all under 40 when they were diagnosed. And Katie's husband was too, wasn't yeah, he? Katie's or right was, around 40? He was 39. 39? Yeah, 39. And she was, what, 30? She's younger than him, right? She was like 30. Five, thirty-six. She's a little like two years younger. They're right. pretty. They're pretty. But like this me. whole idea of like we talked about insurance and fertility and dealing with your life. But this is Katie Couric like talking about the young adult cancer movement mm-hmm. in disguise on the Katie Show. I I call that a small victory. That is amazing. It really is because that gets very mainstream, significant eyeballs right. on the, our movement. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's a really it's a very, big deal. It's, a, it's what Joe Biden would call a BFD. <laughs> BFD. All hail Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, so, Allie, uh, what brings you to New York? And not that I don't know the answer, but you're here because of the... OMG Cancer Summit for Woo-hoo! young adults. That's Yay. happening in Las Vegas in exactly 45 days. 
45 days. I have an app. I could tell you down to the minute oh, and down to the second. It's frightening. Yes, that is kind of frightening. That's what we call TMI. <laughs> 44 days, 3 hours, 51 minutes, and at the tone, 52 seconds. Oh, God. That's unnervingly scary. It's a little scary for me. I tend to not look at the app every day or else I get totally freaked out. <laughs> uh, but you're doing a great job. Well, I think it's going to be a, a wonderful event. We have great speakers, great sessions. We've got a lot of fun stuff in store, some surprises that yes. not even you know about. Oh, really? Oh, um, Am I getting an award? Am I getting a car? I want a car. No. That would be illegal. A <laughs> <laughs> little payola? <laughs> no. My crappy salary? Okay, great. <laughs> Sorry. I think by being employees of Stupid Cancer, we're exempt from any awards, prizes, and giveaways. Fair enough, fair enough. Did we announce on the show last week that we got General Motors to give us a vault for the road trip? We did not. That I, was a huge, We should huge. announce that soon, though. Like right now. I'm like going to go with that. a couple minutes ago. All right, let's cue up some great music for that then. Because this gets rickrolled. We are proud to announce that the second annual Stupid Cancer Road Trip from Boston to Las Vegas will take place April 10th to April 21st, correct? Something like that. Kenny Kane will be helming a Chevrolet Volt wrapped up in all sorts of fancy logos and brands coming through your town real soon. The website will be... Kenny? Uh, should we announce it now, or should we build, Why not? It? Should we build it first? All right, let's, we're, all right, we're going to tease everybody. All right. We'll actually get Rick Astley on the show next week to we actually will. announce the correct. website. Correct. But it's, it's, not, it's not exactly in fighting shape. Okay. We're and, getting there we, soon. We wouldn't want anything to be subpar. Subpar. Who's your co-pilot? The fabulous... John Sabia. John Sabia. Yes. Mm. That's a lot of quality time together. Oh, yeah. Well, they're repeating their love fest from last year. It it was a love fest, indeed. We learned a lot about each other. (laughs) Do you guys like different sing? We do. We do. We actually have a lot of B-roll of us singing. That's pretty cool. And he said at one point he's going to, like, break it out on me. Remember that show on VH1, like, Motor Mouth? No. It was like like a hidden camera show where they would record how bad people were singing, and then they would, like, embarrass them on VH1. That's kind of like what it's... Is that like punked but different? Yes. Okay. It was kind of so bad it didn't last. Yeah, it was really bad. Nobody wanted to watch it. I get a little car sick, so I'd probably barf on you at some point. Well, I am not one of those individuals who gets car sick. Neither is John. John, we won't go into what John's issues are on the road, but uh, (laughs) that can be his my little secret if he's listening. Well, all right, so the OMG Summit's great. The Katie Show, again, nice coup for the young adult cancer movement. I was going to actually write a blog post about a... The transformation in the media about how we're, we're now a national conversation. We're we're here, like it's like this is it. We got a major film last year, and now we're on like daytime TV. We should, and you know what? We got to keep it going. Yeah, it does. You know, Cohen Cancer Alliance. Like, so I've been volunteering for them forever. Yeah, and um, they finally had um, our conference last year, which was in June. They had for young adult cancer. Right, they broke out a and young was, adult cancer group. I was like, I cannot tell you how happy. Psychic did the I same was. thing. The thyroid cancer group did a young adult program last year for the first time. So, like, this is we're seeing this. Like, we should all be writing like progress is upon us. Yeah. You know. Anyway, it is officially eight uh, eleven on the stupid cancer show. We are one minute late for our fabulous guest. So let's bring him on. Pat. Spain is the host of National Geographic Channel series Beast Hunter, the online series Nature Calls, and a colon cancer survivor, of all things. Uh, two years, stage three colon, host of Beast Hunter. Man, we are excited to have this guy on the show. Apparently, he reached out to us, so we must be doing something wrong. <laughs> okay, please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Pat Spain. Sir. Hey, welcome. how you guys doing? How you doing? Very good. How about you guys? 
We are really thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for uh, contributing. Oh, absolutely. It's like to be here. And all you have to do is survive cancer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> what a good deal. I know. It, it, it's the best kind of... It, we're a great, we got great sales on, on our products. So. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully our listenership knows you. I've seen the show. I'm a big fan. I, I, I'm really glad that you don't deal with the, the fish that stabs you in the chest. Um, the, the Jeff guy, whatever his name was. Oh yeah, man, that was crazy. Yeah, I remember waking up that morning, and that that was just a shock to everybody who works with animals. So that and that that's kind of my first question before we get to the actual story is, you live your life in this incredibly life jeopardizing state, <laughs> and yet you beat cancer, and you know how do you balance that? Did you build up a tolerance for fear and stress? And I would, I just want to hear that part of your story. I think my family has. My mom and my girlfriend have gotten so used to getting calls from the hospital that it's like nothing can surprise them anymore. It's like, oh, what bit you this time? What's going? You know, <laughs> what venom is happening now? Right. Um, but with all the dangerous stuff that I work with, I usually end up hurting myself in the stupidest possible ways. Like I was working with these huge uh, water monitors. They're related to Komodo dragons. Big, you know, 150-pound lizards, mouth full of bacteria. Um, they'll eat away, at your, like if they bite you, the bacteria will actually eat away at your skin. That's so quality. Just, really, um, I mean, they're, they're great animals, but really nasty kind of stuff. So I work with them all day and end up, as I'm getting out of the cage, one lunged at me and I slammed my head into the metal bars and had to get staples in my head. So nice. of all the things that could have gone wrong that day, <laughs> it happens to be my own stupidity that puts me in the hospital. You're that guy that gets tacked up to the board of the office by your office mates with the staples, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I have I've to always ask, been a science nerd. Nice. I have to ask you, what is like the... Okay, so I'm looking on the website, and some of this stuff is seriously freaking me out because I... Okay, so I grew up on Long Island where, like, nature is considered a seagull, and I live in New York City where nature is a random squirrel. So, no, you got some good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tend to get, like, a little skittish around animals because I don't really see them besides, like, pets. And yeah, the I, subway rats are their own evolutionary what? chain. So. I'm actually not scared of subway rats. I've seen them so many times. So what Ooh. is, like, the scariest animal? Like, give us an animal that you saw that actually scared you. Is there, I got or, charged, is there anything? I got charged by a silverback gorilla. In the wild, and that was that was like pee yourself terrifying. Did you, I think, did you I scream think I just, Jane Goodall help me along the way? <laughs> oh my god! I don't know how people. I'm telling you, man, primates are the scariest animals on earth. You give me rattlesnakes, give me you know twenty foot uh, constrictors, anything that you can throw at me other than primates, they are really because they're they're thinking, they know what they're doing. <laughs> right. They have brains. Yeah, I mean, they they honestly they they are one of the only animals that can understand pain, and that's why they go after your face and your crotch. Oh. oh, my God. Because they know that it hurts. All right, I'm making yet another mental note to never leave my house. I know. <laughs> They're really fun to work with, though. If you work with some of the younger ones, like before they get that kind of, you know, a little can't quite sure what they're going to do next, but the baby ones are really fun to work with. Wow, wow, wow. I'm uh, a little frightened right now. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> All hell no, all living. <laughs> I was working with a baby chimp who uh, was, you know, everything was fine. We were all hanging out and everything was good. And a friend of mine was next to me and the chimp started peeing and he put his hand down into like the stream of piss and he's kind of feeling it. It must have been warm or something, but he looked over at my friend and cupped his hand and just turned and slapped him across the face with a handful of pee. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> like he knew exactly what he was doing. It's like you hear about the monkeys at the zoo that throw poo at people. Yeah. yeah. They know what they're doing. Wow. 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 All right, so so all right, so we're, we're <laughs> the actual reason you're here. I want to hear these stories. We go on for hours about this stuff, sure. But 
all right, so you're this young guy, you're active, you're you're in shape, you're doing all these great things, and then all of a sudden, boom, colon cancer? How did yeah, that happen? weirdest, weirdest thing. I mean, I've had a lot of weird things happen in my life, and that was the most bizarre. Um, with all the traveling that I've been doing and everything, I mean, I was in rural, rural Sumatra, um, living with a couple different pygmy tribes in West Africa, like, you know, eating insane things all over Mongolia and all this. So when I started feeling sick, it was like, ah, my stomach's a little bit upset. And people are like, oh, shocking. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Right. So I went to the doctor, and I was diagnosed. I spent about four months being diagnosed with everything you can think of, from stress to gluten allergies to, uh, you know, it could be a parasite. I did have a parasite, but that was a different, <laughs> different <laughs> situation. So it was just all these different things, but I knew there was something more than what the doctors were finding because everything that they'd say it was like it just didn't seem quite right and uh, I always tell people you know your body's better than anyone else so you've got to advocate for yourself you've got to you know it's it's not the doctor's fault like like you said you know 30 year old active guy could be anything when you got a stomach ache so I actually convinced the doctor to give me a colonoscopy I mean imagine wow. talking your doctor into giving you a colonoscopy <laughs> like the drinking and, uh, game you don't want to win. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I remember the last thing the doctor said when he was putting me under was, you know, this is really unnecessary, but if it's going to make you feel better, then I guess we'll go ahead with it. Wow, okay. And I'm guessing so your just, doctor was completely shocked. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was such a weird thing. It's it's one of the things that I always tell people also is people are embarrassed by all things bowel functions. Everything going on from the stomach down, people just don't want to talk about even to their doctor. And it's so important that you pay attention to those things. I mean, if there's anything going on out of usual, um, you know your body better than anyone else, and don't let embarrassment, you know, make this much worse than it has to be. So, all right, so the moment of truth is upon you. You have stage 3 colon cancer. What next? We call uh, it like the oh shit week between your diagnosis and when stuff starts. What was that like? Well, the weird, so right when they diagnosed me, I was still on all the drugs from the colonoscopy, so I kind of laughed and just turned to my girlfriend, and I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be fine. I say my girlfriend. We've been together 12 years, so a little bit more than a girlfriend. <laughs> but she's in the room with me, and she's crying, and I'm, I'm just going, no, it's fine. It's going to be okay. Like I, don't, you know, I had no idea what was going on. It didn't really hit me for a couple days. And then uh, that whole week, because uh, it was a week and a half in between when I was diagnosed and when I had the surgery, it was uh, just completely surreal. It didn't feel like it was happening. It didn't feel real. And everything that they had been saying was like it just sounded too good. It's like cancer is so terrifying, just that word. But they're going, no, no, you know, we, we think it's pretty, you know, contained. All the signs look good. You're young. You're healthy. This is going to be an arthroscopic surgery. You're going to be in and out in, um, you know, four days is what they had said. So I, I've been in the hospital so many times over the years for everything. That four days in the hospital sounded like nothing. Right. So I, I was, and uh, they did the surgery. I was in there. There were jokes about hospital food, wearing the gown, you know, all the kind of stupid stuff. And I was out of there in four days. And that day when I got home, again, something didn't seem right. And within about, I don't know, six hours of being home, I collapsed to the ground, and I started dragging myself across the floor to the phone. And the only thing I could remember were those commercials from the 80s, like I've fallen and I can't oh, get God. up. Oh, God. Wow, all right. And I'm trying, and it was like running through my head that this, this only happens in the movies. This can't really be happening to me. I can't, you know, be crawling across the floor to get a phone. 
and um, got a hold of my girlfriend, got her to, because I had convinced her to go to work, thought everything was completely fine. So she came home, and that was when it really hit me, was the, the, the second ride to the hospital, when my stomach was distended out, you know, a, a foot. Um, I could barely talk. I was just in the most intense pain that I could imagine, and it was like, that's, now it feels real. Now I don't know what the future is. I have no idea what's going to happen from here. Right. And what was going on? Was it like an infection or was it something related to surgery? Yeah, my intestines had flipped and wow. uh, and, and and opened. So where they had removed about six inches of the large intestine, um, that suture, whatever, had come undone, and my intestines were open and just pouring everything into my into oh my god yeah so that was a real that that they then had to put me in an induced coma for a few days oh, and was that all? Uh, uh, i don't remember a second wow. of it. the only thing i remember as i was coming out of it is the color purple and uh intense pain after about you know a few days in the coma and then i was in the hospital for a couple months wow, wow. so this obviously put a a, a bit of a hold on your life yeah, I had to you stop the getting, traveling for a yeah, little while. Yeah, you weren't while getting chased by gorillas during that time. Right. No, no. I was, uh, yeah, I lost about 35 pounds, 40 pounds in the hospital, and it was a struggle to walk across the room after wow. that. So uh, that, my big thing was getting into physical therapy right away, right when I got home. Sure. And, uh, I mean, it was stuff like, you know, holding a shopping cart and walking to the first, you know, fruit section of the grocery store and right, then back right. to the car. Small steps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm um, just sitting up from a chair. My first physical therapy visit was just literally sitting in a chair and sitting up ten times. And how old were you at this point? Thirty. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I did all that, um, started getting better. As soon as I got out of the hospital and got home, I started feeling better. Um, had my friends and family around me, and people were just really supportive. Uh, National Geographic was super nice. They were sending me fruit baskets and all kinds of good stuff that I couldn't eat, but I of loved the gesture. Of course, you couldn't eat stare at them. <laughs> right. No, they sent flowers and cards, and it was it was really, really nice. I mean, I can't say enough about the support that everyone has given me. The production company I work for is amazing. They're like family at this point. Uh, they flew in from England to visit me and stuff. So Wow. I, I started feeling so much better and just uh, wanted to get out there again. So as soon as I could, I was back out uh, catching snakes and just being crazy. And you shouldn't <laughs> be. You have the right to live your life, and this is what you want to do. It's your passion, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I was getting chemo, so I had the port implanted in my chest, and um, I was, you know, fumbling things. Like, I didn't have my coordination back yet. And the first snake I grabbed just looked bit the hell out of me, bit me oh, like 20, God. 30 times, and I remember um, on camera saying to the snake, like, oh, buddy, you don't want to do that, you don't know what's in my blood. Right, you're going to be, there. You're, you're the beast killer now. Yeah, the snake's getting the worst end of this deal. Right, exactly, exactly. And this was, uh, you're now coming up on two years, or you're coming up on, where are you now? Two years, yeah, it's, it's two years, the diagnosis was uh, January 19th. Wow. So I'm a little over two years out. So wow. you get one of these then. You get... <laughs> get a nice two-year applause button. Thank you very much. Feels so, really uh, good. So where is the show now? Is the show's taping again? Back to the... Uh, there's been a whole bunch of changes with uh, with National Geographic and the, the kind of management of it. So okay. we're kind of working on a couple different projects now. Um, my friend and I, a, a few of us do, uh, and my girlfriend, we do the Nature Calls stuff. 
Last year, we drove up to Manitoba, which was 36 hours in the car. We spent two, 22 hours there and then 36 back to go find the largest concentration of snakes on Earth. And there's about 175,000 snakes in this tiny little pit up there. That's all, huh? So, yeah. So we went up and did that. I filmed with bats, um, done a bunch of stuff locally, um, doing a lot of talks for different organizations. I'm heading out to India in a couple months. Wow. And um, talking to a few different networks, and uh, we have we have a lot of good stuff in the works. Okay. And where are you based out of? Boston. Well, just well, we'll plug you in because our, we mentioned we're doing a road trip. Yeah, I heard um, that. That's and awesome. And the road trip starts in Boston. We'd love to have you at the kickoff party. Oh, I'd love to be there. That'd be great. Well, we'll plug you in after the show. But yeah. Annie had a question for That's you. That's awesome. So one of the things I want to ask you: You've been with your girlfriend a long time. You said that yes. girlfriend's not even an appropriate name to describe her. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship of going through this and how she was there for you as a caregiver during this whole? I hate the word journey, so I'll say while you were dealing with cancer, how your girlfriend was there by your side. Absolutely. Um, so Anna, she's absolutely amazing. She, like I said, we've been together a little over, or just about 12 years now, and um, I think that this whole experience is actually harder for the caregivers than it is for the person going through it, because the person going through it, I mean, I'm so focused on, you know, just getting through the day and kind of while I'm in the hospital and while I'm going through chemo and doing all this, you're kind of wrapped up in your own head for a lot of it. So it's like not only do you have to see the person that you love go through this, but you also kind of lose that day-to-day interaction a lot because that person so kind of, I don't know, your personality kind of changes during that time. I mean, for at least a few days during chemo every week, I was non-functional. Just lie on the couch, pop in, you know, a movie, and that was it for me. So she was there through every step of it. I mean, she was one, the only person I wanted to see when I was in the hospital. She uh, would come, she'd wait outside for this Italian ice store in our town because <laughs> that was the only thing I could eat. So she'd get there before they opened so that she could get in and get whatever flavors uh, she could get her hands on and then bring them to the hospital and uh, just sit with me, you know, not even talk, just to have someone there and uh, someone that I wanted to see because um, it's hard. Like, there's there's a lot of people that you know, you love them, they're they're your family, they're your friends, but you just don't really want them there at that moment because you still feel like you might need to be something that you're not up to being at that time. So it was amazing to have someone there who just knows you that well and, you know, accepts all of that and can, can deal with that. And is Angel on Earth. With that. Mm-hmm. Angel on Earth. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Very lucky man. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So this this is obviously it's colorectal cancer awareness month. I'm sure you've been approached by lots of organizations. This is the, from what I'm told, Vanessa, maybe you can back me up as an advocate for a CCA, the fastest growing cancer in young adults. Is that accurate? I actually don't know that, so I don't want to say anything I don't know. Lie to me. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Sounds good to me. So and we want to shed light, uh, Pat, about you know young adults where I like to say that we're not special but we're different. And yeah. we have different needs and different wants, and you know, I'm, I, we're almost out of time, but we could talk for hours about, you know, the, the intimacy issues, the family planning, what what your life's going to be like, you know, wanting, how do you talk to your kids about this? What does this become for the rest of your life? And you have, you know, you don't want a five-year remission, you want a 200-year remission, you know, you know yeah. 80. Um, but I think that you you're an amazing guy. You 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 speak so well. You're so passionate. Um, I'm going to stupid cancerize you. I'm going to deputize you <laughs> right here in the air as one of our advocates. 
Excellent. Um, and then we'll make sure that we get you, uh, if you can drink by Boston uh, kickoff party, we'll get you nice and loaded. Um, oh, that sounds awesome. Get some shots <laughs> with our team up there, and we'll ship you some T-shirts and whatever. But I, I can't thank you enough for reaching out to us. Um, it's a real honor and a pleasure. And um, the next time you're chased by a silverback gorilla, I want you wearing one of our wristbands. All right, absolutely. I love what you guys do. And then, Thank and you then so put much the T-shirt for... on the gorilla. Yeah, then put the T-shirt on the gorilla. <laughs> that will definitely make it on YouTube. So okay. that That's fantastic. Well, good luck to you. Keep in touch. I'll send you a quick email post. And uh, rock on, bro. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. All right, Pat Spain, everybody. Awesome. What a great guy. Amazing. What a great. What a great story. Amazing. For the Although, record, if I ever found out to be chased by a um, a gorilla, yeah, just literally, I have a lojack in my body somewhere. Just find me and then bury me. It's taking up you the uh, taking up the space that was once his. his yeah, my tumor. tumor is now like a little microchip. No, I'm kidding. No, do you really? Are you really microchipped like a like a dog? No, no, I'd like oh. to be though sometimes. Okay, just checking. Yeah. He just wears you wander? the. Uh, I'm like Kenny. I don't wake up in places I don't know where I am. He just wears the collar and 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 never mind. The bootleg, the ankle yeah. bracelet, the Lindsay Lohan thing. Oh yeah. gosh, yeah. Oh god, that's horrible. All right, well, all right. It is now time for the news, and Hello, here you go. I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All righty, Kenny, what's going on? All right, Matthew, head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something can be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. This week, we have meetups in Burbank, California, Seattle. Saturday, we have the What's Next? Get Busy Living over here in North Jersey. At Jersey. Hackensack. Uh, not at Hackensack, take that back. John Thurrock Cancer Center. And finally, uh, there was something else. Oh, St. Louis and the OMG Cancer Summit in April. That's right. Of course, of course. All right. Speaking of which, again, we mentioned at the uh, top of the show, the sixth annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults is live. It's real. It's here. Uh, April 25, 6, 7, 8 at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas. 500, 550, hopefully, uh, of your peers in the young adult cancer world will be joining you for a three and a half day uh, weekend of awesome, epic, amazing stuff. Register yourself at OMG 2013. Dot org. Epic. Epic. All right, Matthew, if you know what we did over the weekend, we gave away T-shirts for $5 each. We were, like 100 of Oh, order. my God. 120-something orders. We're still recovering here at <laughs> Stupid Cancer HQ. Uh, anyway, head on over to stupidcancerstore.org. Check out what's left, if there's any. Uh, <laughs> wear Stupid Cancer. Okay, and finally, the Stupid Cancer Forums have almost 5,000 active members. This is a premier online community. To connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you, visit stupidcancerforums.org and sign up with one click through Facebook, and that is your Stupid Cancer News. All right, continuing our epic bracket, epic uh, conversation about National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month and all things going on, I can't think of anyone more suited or qualified to be on the show tonight and Andrew Spiegel, the Chief Executive Officer of the Colon Cancer Alliance. He's a lawyer, so we have to be careful what we say. Um, but with that said, please welcome Andrew Spiegel. Andrew, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How you doing? Welcome. Really excited to have you on the show. First time first time on the show for Andrew and the CCA. So welcome aboard the, the Crazy Fun Ship. Uh, I appreciate it. Great to, uh, great to be here and a great time to be here. National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, listen, I have one comment about Pat. Uh, the most amazing thing I found about his story 
was how in the heck did he get 12 years and not have to marry that girl? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, how do you do that? I, I got away with about seven, but that was it. I had to get married at that point. Well, so. I'm going to go with that maybe he's not Jewish. Yeah. There's a mother-in-law bearing down on him? Okay. That, that, <laughs> that, that would have explain it. A nagging woman like me. I, I would never <laughs> right. let it go that long. Very tolerant angel on his shoulders yeah. to go through that all these years. A very yes. nice girlfriend. <laughs> That's and awesome. also, if he's been with her for 12 years, he's been dating her since they're very young. Right. Because he's only like 32. Right. Okay. So, Andrew, so how does a lawyer find himself in charge of the awesome CCA? Well, you know, about four years ago, I sat on the board of directors of the Colon Cancer Alliance for a number of years, and about four year, years ago, the board turned to me during a meeting when I was uh, complaining about my predecessor and said, look, why don't you do it? You know, you've been here complaining for years and years about the leadership. Why don't you... Uh, take over the helm and see how you can do. So, you know, after a couple of weeks of them lobbying me, I decided I would do it. And uh, i got to tell you, I don't miss the law practice at all. So, wow. Yeah, so it's been it's been really a great ride. I lost my mom to colon cancer way back in 1999, so that was my initial motivation to get involved with the Colon Cancer Alliance and, of course, never dreamed that um, I'd be leading the organization one day. But it's been a really great ride to see the organization grow and flourish like it has now and to uh, to see colon cancer start to be uh, to make inroads to become a mainstream disease. Yeah, one of the things that we've noticed about uh, colon cancer is it generally, just like every other cancer I've ever heard of, is an older person's disease. But at the same time, statistically, it's growing in young adults. So what, you know, what do young people need to know, and what is the latest of the statistics with colon cancer in young adults? Well, uh, you are right. Traditionally, colon cancer has been thought to be an older person's disease, and in fact, it was thought to be an old man's disease for many, many, many years. We know that it's not an old man's disease because it affects women and men just about equally. It affects all races, um, and unfortunately, it's now affecting all ages. As you said, uh, there is a dramatic increase in people under the age of 50 who are being diagnosed with colorectal cancer. And this is something that we're taking very seriously at the Colon Cancer Alliance, and it's something that we're delving right into as a top priority and looking forward. So uh, was it Vanessa that said that she attended our national conference last yeah, year on this hi. issue? Hey. Um, so we, we began by making that uh, the subject of our national conference, and out of that we will be issuing a white paper that will be coming out in just a few weeks. Uh, or maybe a month or two that's going to address all the statistics and why this is happening and when, what we're planning to do about it, which is launch research into what we're going to do about this growing problem. When you look at it statistically, over the last 10 years, uh, colon cancer has been increasing 2% per year in the under, under 50 population, and rectal cancer has been increasing 4% per year in the under 50 population. So uh, we know that 50 is the magic age for screening that uh, everybody is talking about. Uh, so that's why we kind of use over 50 and under 50 as a barometer. So we see this dramatic increase in the number of patients under the age of 50, and in fact it's the fastest growing population of newly diagnosed cases of colon cancer. It's decreasing in the older population and increasing in the younger population. So Andrew, and let, me know, ask, go ahead. let me ask you a question then. Um, is Is this is the research that that is there a, a change of philosophy in the research where it's maybe getting split into we want to understand the biology of of how to treat it, but we also want to understand the biology of what's causing it. 
Yeah, uh, there hasn't been a lot of research in the under-50s because uh, we've been seeing this increase for a decade now at the Colon Cancer Alliance because we've got, you know, we've got a pulse right into the colon cancer community through our helplines and our buddy programs and things like that. So we've been actually seeing this and have been sort of driving the issue of, you know, hey, doctors, are you seeing this too? And hospitals, are you seeing this? And finally, a couple of years ago, the data started to come out that actually showed what we were seeing was true. We were seeing so many young people diagnosed, people in their 20s and 30s, which is the fastest-growing population, by the way, 20s and 30s. And uh, there hasn't been a lot of research, and that's one of our priorities moving forward is that we're going to be funding research to find out exactly why these young people are being diagnosed with uh, colon cancer. And, uh, you know, they think it's the, 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 the typical lifestyle issues we hear about, the obesity ec- epidemic and the lack of exercise and the processed foods and the, and the red meats and the fried stuff and, you know, all these things that are making young people unhealthy overall may be contributing to colon cancer as well. But we don't know that, and, and unfortunately we've seen how many uh, very fit vegetarian marathon runners in their 20s coming in with colon cancer with no family history whatsoever. Right. Uh, but family history is a really important factor. When you have young people that are getting advanced colon cancer, we always look at the family history to see if a grandfather, a father, a brother, sister, somebody else had colon polyps or they had colon cancer. So knowing your family history is extremely important to diagnosing colon cancer. And the second thing that you have to do is you have to pay attention to your body and be your own advocate. Now, some people will tell you they had no symptoms whatsoever, and that's one of the big problems with colon cancer is you don't have a lot of symptoms until the disease has progressed. But there are people that have symptoms very early on, like blood in the stool, abdominal cramping, diarrhea, uh, obstructions, where you see your stool starting to look uh, sort of like narrow pencil pencils rather than big, thick, bulky stools, anemia, unexplained weight loss. Any of these things could be lots of other things, but they could also be signs of colon cancer. And the important message I want to send to your audience today is if you go to the doctor and you you complain about these things, don't just accept the diagnosis of it must be irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, it must just be a, a bad stomach or a weak stomach, something like that. Those are nonsense things to tell somebody when the problem's not getting fixed and the well, problem's Pat, not going Pat away. Well, Pat demanded a colonoscopy. How yeah. rare does that happen? Well, you know, not a lot of people demand colonoscopies, unfortunately, but... That, that's a perfect example of how you have to be your own advocate and you have to push for the treatment that you think you need to get to the diagnosis early. Colon cancer is very much a disease of early diagnosis equals survival. So you want to catch this thing as early as possible and talk to your doctor about the symptoms that you may be having or talk to your doctor if you have a family history of this disease so that you can determine whether early screening is appropriate for you. So that's the message I want to send is that if you're under 50, uh, you, have to be, you have to have colon cancer on your radar and it has to be discussed with your doctor openly year after year, and screening may be appropriate for you even earlier than the age of 50. Uh, and so what have are, that conversation. And what are some of the, you know, ways, you know, obviously there are some t- sometimes you can't, there's nothing you can do to avoid being diagnosed with cancer, I know that some of the issues that you guys are looking into and that research is looking into are genetic mutations to find out, you know, the ethnic groups who are at higher risk. Well, what are some of the things that people can do to lower their risk 
for, you know, for developing colon cancer. I saw that, you know, you've mentioned diet, and I was, you know, totally okay with some of the things you said to stay away, like processed meats, like bologna. But what are some of the things that people can do to, you know, just live a healthier lifestyle to avoid this, to try, you know, at least try to cut down our risk of this diagnosis? Can I tell you what, like myself, Andrew, let me take this one. So as a stage four survivor, young, I was really scared. So I got really into, you have to exercise. Mm -hmm. That's key. Um, I stopped drinking water. I mean, sorry, stopped drinking (laughs) soda. Yeah. And I only drink water. Maybe coffee every once in a while. Um, You have to have a very low fat, high fiber diet. And stay away from a lot of sugars, which is hard when you're Italian and you love that pasta. <laughs> but you definitely have to cut down. Fruits and veggies are key, too. Yeah. There was just a study that came out today from uh, overseas that talked about the significant de- decrease in incidence of colon cancer with an increase in fiber. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the Western diet in America is a lack of fiber mm-hmm. and, a, and uh, unfortunately, too much red meat, too much smoking, too much exercise, too much alcohol. All of those things increase your chance of getting colon cancer, whereas things like stopping smoking, losing weight, exercising, eating a lot more fiber, not eating uh, fried food, all of those things can help you lower your risk of getting colon cancer. And, of course, colon cancer is the most preventable major cancer through screening. So, again, have conversations with your health care provider about whether screening early is appropriate for you. And and we're certainly not advocating that everybody under 50 go get general population screening. But you have to remember that if you complain to your doctor and you're 35 years old and your doctor says, well, you know, colon cancer screening doesn't start till age 50, you correct your doctor and say, actually, those guidelines are for general population screenings, not for somebody with a family history, not for somebody who's got symptoms. Those screening guidelines are for general average risk people. So if your doctor doesn't give you that test, go to another doctor that will. Right, and I'm sure that there there isn't a single evolutionary biologist on this planet who would agree that fried foods were uh, meant for our digestive systems <laughs> to begin with. Yeah, I wouldn't um, think so. Right, but go, going back to the genetics of it, I, I would love to hear your comment on that. I have a, a, a almost a perverse fascination with epigenetics and how, like, they're using Herceptin in colon cancer now when it was designed for breast cancer, but the original gene came from brain tumors. So are, are we on the cusp of it ain't about body parts anymore, per se, maybe in five or ten years? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, I'm going to punt that one to Dr. Weber when he gets on because he certainly knows more about the biologics and the chemistries. Remember, I'm a lawyer because uh, I didn't listen to my mother and go to medical school. So <laughs> uh, so I, I'll leave that to him, but, but suffice it to say that Biologics, personalized medicine, those things are all the future. We see the average metastatic colon cancer patient now living three times longer than just a decade ago because of the new biologics that have been coming out and better surgical techniques and things of that nature. So we are making significant progress, and I can't think of another cancer that you can think of that has progressed um, as rapidly in terms of overall survival as colon cancer. Three times as long in only a decade is pretty unheard of. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty amazing. We're really making good inroads. We've got we've got stage four survivors that, you know, a decade ago would have lived 10 months, and now they're living decades. Yeah. So One of the questions happen. I had from the research that, you know, I saw is about the increase in type 2 diabetes. So do, is there also research that shows an increased risk between specifically diabetes and colon cancer, just besides the being overweight aspect of it? There is an increase in the number of uh, colon cancer patients who are diabetic or 
conversely, diabetics who get colon cancer, it's most likely because of the same factors that lead to diabetes mm-hmm. also lead to colon cancer. You know, the, the being overweight, the living sedentary lifestyles, uh, the eating the wrong foods, things like that. So kind of both lifestyle choices lead to both diseases. And I do have one of the genetic, so one of the things that you also touch on is the genetic component component of colon cancer. What is the type of genetic, what specific genetic testing should people be looking for um, if they're concerned about diagnosis or if it runs in their family? Um, which genetic test is the one that they should be looking for? Uh, well, first let me, let me give you the caveat that the vast majority of cases of colon cancer do not have a genetic component. So I don't want your listeners to think just be, oh, I, I didn't have any family members that had it, so I'm not going to get it. Unfortunately, that is not true. Uh, the vast majority of cases are just um, unknown cause of colon cancer with no family history. But if you do have a family history, the most popular gene to look for is something that's called Lynch syndrome. And Lynch syndrome, uh, can it's a, it's a defect in your genes that can also cause other cancers as well. So uh, be on the lookout perhaps for ovarian or breast or mm-hmm. some of the other cancers. And, again, Dr. Weber can talk about those things. But uh, there definitely is a genetic component to some subset, especially in younger people. Yeah. Uh, we certainly see the genetic component when you see 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds more frequently than when we see 70- or 80-year-olds. Right. And Lynch syndrome is the one to, to think about if you're going to go for genetic testing if you're younger or you have a family history. Right. Some reason to get it. And what about, you know, with CCCA, what type of resources do you offer? What can, you know, someone who's newly diagnosed or a caretaker, when they reach out to you, what kind of uh, different programs do you offer? Well, I would encourage your listeners to simply go to our website at ccalliance.org and check out all the different programs we have. We have patient support programs such as our toll-free helpline, which is one eight seven seven. 422-2030, and you can find that right on our homepage at ccalliance.org. That, our helpline gets over 12,000 calls per year, so many of them newly diagnosed, many of them, hey, I'm on this chemo, having this side effect, can you help me? So the helpline is really, really valuable. We've got a buddy program that provides peer-to-peer support group, uh, peer-to-peer support, so that if you're newly diagnosed, we can match you with somebody who's gone through this journey already. We've got a tremendous online community uh, for, for uh, online support. We've got financial support through a program called the Blue Note Fund. We've got clinical trials matching services. And, of course, our national conference will take place this fall in Miami, and that's what Vanessa talked about. And that's where you have hundreds and hundreds of colon cancer patients together for a couple days, and they learn about their disease. They learn about coping with it and all the different uh, psychosocial issues that go along with a cancer diagnosis, and uh, there's a big presence in the under 50s at that conference as well. Right, Vanessa was mentioning that for the first time you're having a young adult track, which I think is extraordinary. Yeah, there, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of applause for that track last year for sure because it's been uh, there's a very vocal under 50s community out there that feel that they're being ignored by their doctors, they're being ignored by the insurers, they're being ignored by the system. And they were so happy that there's finally a national organization taking this cause on uh, full steam. Uh, And we're doing it, uh, you know, for the long run. We're going to launch research this year into finding out exactly why uh, this is happening. Um, So it's a major priority for us. Well, I think that's a good sort of segue to bring on um, 
Dr. Weber and Cindy, so let me cue up their fantastic uh, celebrity music here. <laughs> okay. Joining Andrew Spiegel will be Dr. Weber um, is the professor of surgery at the State University of New York at Downstate and chief of surgery at the Department of Veterans Affairs New York Harbor Healthcare System in Brooklyn. Uh, and Cindy Barassi is the director of communications for the Colon Cancer Challenge Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization based here in New York dedicated to a world without colorectal cancer. I'm thrilled. Cindy's a returning champion, but I'm really thrilled to have a uh, sorry, really thrilled to have Tom Weber on the show. Uh, please welcome uh, Cindy Barassi, Tom Weber. Welcome. <laughs> Thank so you, thank fump, you. Fumpering with my buttons, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank for you that Matt. great introduction. Yes. Um, yeah, so you've been listening to the show. Uh, Andrew and I were joking about how Pat needs to be more Jewish to get married. Um, <laughs> um, and other slightly more relatable topics <laughs> for this show today. Very scientific. Uh, yes, it, well, it, it's all science. It's all some kind of science. It's even pseudoscience is a science, right? So... Um, I, I first, I mean, Cindy, we can we can uh, talk briefly about your role in CCCF, but before I just wanted to, since the the conversation is fresh, uh, can I call you Tom or you for yes. Dr. Weber? Yeah, Tom's good. Okay, Tom. Well, Brooklyn, right? Call you Tom. So, uh, I'd love you to comment on what we were discussing before about genomics and the 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 shift, like sort of the AACR model of non-disease specific research complementing disease-specific research as a philosophy for potentially improved outcomes. What are, your, what are your thoughts on where we're headed on the molecular science level? Well, I was listening, and um, I think um, Andrew hit a lot of the important points. Um, you know, I, I think we need to divide it up a little bit. I mean, let's see. Uh, genomics certainly is impacting uh, patient selection for certain therapies and the biologics, uh, so that's very important. But I think equally, if not more important, is genetics and genomics to identify people at increased risk. So I agree completely with, uh, with Andrew that the vast majority of cases don't have genetic alterations that are readily going to be picked up. However, many, many people are members of families where other first-degree relatives have been affected, and I think that that is an area to focus with your doctor on securing genetic counseling and, and if you meet the criteria, being tested. So I agree. Lynch syndrome is definitely the most frequent, and that is caused by uh, alterations in the so-called mismatch repair genes, and um, I think it's also important to to bear in mind, and you may have touched on this, I might have missed it, that uh, even having the testing doesn't always give you a clear-cut uh, answer in terms of whether or not an alteration is clinically significant. So I mention that just to underscore that in all these areas, there's an enormous amount of research that still still needs to be done. Right. And, Cindy, why don't you tell us a little about the Colon Cancer Challenge Foundation, uh, this nonprofit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing? I know you're based in New York. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys have going on right now? And happy 10th anniversary. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a big milestone for us. Um, obviously, our focus right now is on celebrating the achievements um, that we've and the accomplishments that we've made in the past ten years, and and then looking ahead at what we'll be focusing on down uh, down the road. Um, our, our big event coming up here in the New York City area is, of course, the New York Colon Cancer Challenge, again, celebrating our 10th anniversary, and um, the launch of our National Colon Cancer Challenge. So not only will we be celebrating and raising awareness here in New York City on April 7th in Central Park with thousands of people, uh, we get an estimated crowd of uh, 12 to 15,000 people gathering in Central Park. Wow, well, pretty big. On, yeah, it's, it's a huge event. Um, we have a 15K run, a 4-mile run, and a 1.7-mile prevention and remembrance walk. Are people being chased by gorillas? <laughs> <laughs> Giant polyps. <laughs> Giant polyps. And then, they, and then they, they finish the run through our giant inflatable colon um, and uh, take an educational tour through that to learn a little bit more about their, their digestive tract and their colon. Um, but, yes, we see a huge crowd, and we... Um, we have a wellness festival there at the end of the, at the end of the day where we focus on education and are launching a campaign this year called Sign Up New York, where we're encouraging um, everyone who not only attends the challenge but um, New, York, New Yorkers in general to get the facts, uh, learn their family history, talk to their doctor, and ultimately get screened. Um, certainly, if they're over 50. But then, of course, you know, if we've identified that they do in fact have um, risk factors um, at, of early age onset of colorectal cancer and a family history, that they also talk to their doctor about getting screened. Um, so a lot going on just with the, the New York Colon Cancer mm-hmm. Challenge. Um, we have uh, our educational colon, the Rolling Colon, named uh, fondly by our Facebook community, is, is actually out taking a tour of the country right now. Um, it just hit on Ames, Iowa. And well, and, name? well, and for our listeners, it is this colossally gigantic, actual mock-up of a colon, right? You walk through it and stuff. Absolutely, yes. It's um, it's large enough to host a seven-foot-tall man <laughs> easily, <laughs> uh, standing upright. So Shaq can come hang out. Yeah, Shaq could be there, yeah. Yes, yes, Shaq could be there. And um, it will be it will be all over the country this year. Um, it's it thanks in large part to our sponsor, Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. I want to uh, just mention that. Um, and it will hit places like Johns Hopkins. It will hit the Mayo Clinic at, at, at a point, and of course, it will you'll be seeing it in New York City. Does it so. does it have its own Twitter feed and tell naughty jokes every day? <laughs> it does we, have. We thought own, about that. <laughs> well, it does have its own Twitter handle, and we're we're launching that now, so you will start Very to cool. hear its own. You know, we'll have its own dialogue going on. And what's its name? You said that your your Facebook fans named it. Uh, yes, our Facebook fans and Twitter fans named it, as well as um, our community that we saw at the WPIX Expo last year. We Very had cool. The, the rolling, rolling, rolling colon's the name. Okay, gotcha. Well, I see. So your goal this year is to raise a million dollars, and um, a lot of your money goes towards prevention, screening, and research. So I want to tell our listeners a little bit about the money that you're raising and what you guys are using it for. Besides, you know, this rolling rolling colon national tour, um, the different grants that you're funding, and uh, things like that. Sure. Well, as I'm sure uh, the alliance has experienced, uh, just just 
organizing and sponsoring public awareness events is very uh, is very expensive, and uh, so a significant uh, portion of our budget is reinvested in the public awareness portion and events such as the challenge. We also participate in the charity runner program for the New York City Marathon. So that's that's one portion of our of our budget. We also um, make funds available to the screening for the uninsured as part of the New York City Council and the uh, City Department of Health program for the uninsured. We've been doing that for a number of years, and we're we're increasing dramatically the uh, level of support for that. But another major focus for the foundation really is. Um, supporting young investigators who are early in their careers and have an interest and have been have had some productivity in colon cancer translational research, particularly genetics and early age onset. So we have a number of travel scholarship awards uh, that we offer in conjunction with a number of uh, medical, scientific, and surgical societies. And uh, for the next academic year, we're now working on a full-year research scholarship fellowship, which will allow a young investigator to spend a year at a top uh, laboratory uh, in the U.S., <clears throat> and we hope uh, in future years, maybe abroad as well, to really help them along uh, and mature their careers in studying uh, the genetics and genomics of early age onset. Let me turn it back to Andrew for a second. Um, I know Vanessa wants to chime in, too. Uh, I want to talk about progress. And, and maybe we can take the young adult component out of this for a second, because I think it's only like 6% of the annual 100,000 diagnosed. But with that said, the people who get diagnosed over 50, they're our moms and our dads, and we care about them. We want them to be well. Um, have you seen a trend in the advocacy world where young adults are encouraging their parents to get screened is there more of an awareness from the younger audience to be caregivers or advanced caregivers for their parents' well-being? That's a great question. <laughs> I would like to say yes. Um, you know, certainly uh, our children have learned a great deal through the public school system about the dangers and risks of alcohol, drugs, and uh safe sex, as it were. I do not know to what extent uh, awareness of colorectal cancer really has permeated those curriculums, but it might be an important place for the Alliance and the Foundation to look for opportunities. Right, and that's my interest, because one of the shifts of this organization, looking at our, our intern, Matt Beckett, here, Vanessa, actually, and Cindy and I met through a young adult survivor named Brielle, uh, all young adult colon cancer survivors. I was joking at the top of the show that when I bought a Subaru, I had never seen another Subaru on the road before, and I only saw Subarus after I bought a Subaru. So um, my fascination in getting to working more with colon cancer organizations is in the spirit of the young adult who is the caregiver to their older parent right. with colon cancer, lung cancer, prostate right. cancer, and are we influencers for their prevention, for their early detection, for their well-being, for their navigation, and can stupid cancer sort of sort of um, bring the young adult cancer world, however you're affected, to really be a, a larger voice for that? So I, was, I asked the question because I can't imagine that's not true. We just don't have any, you know, published data to indicate that it is. 
But when you're getting Katie Couric and Homer Simpson getting colonoscopies on television, <laughs> there's got to be something out there that's working. Right. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's really very, very important, and it, uh, you know, it, it it also resonates with what Andrew mentioned that this is a this is a preventable cancer. You know, timely, uh, effective screening saves lives. There's no question about it. So I think that's an excellent strategy. And uh, what we also might be able to do is um, I can check with our friends at the uh, Colorectal Cancer Roundtable to see uh, what literature, if any, there is on that particular question, and I could shoot that back to you, Matt. Sure. I think Vanessa had something she wanted to chime in on. Oh, I was actually just going to say thank you to Dr. Weber because in all of this, when I started advocating for myself 11 years ago, he was really the only doctor that took me seriously and took my concerns seriously as a young adult survivor. And Dr. Weber is, <clears throat> we're on the C5 together, which... Um, which is what? Dr. Weber, you want to explain that? The C5 is uh, the Citywide Colon Cancer Control Coalition, which is a mouthful, uh, but it was inspired uh, by our previous uh, health commissioner, Tom Frieden, under Mayor Bloomberg, and uh, continues under Dr. Farley, and uh, is uh, developed and, and overseen by the New York City Health Department. And basically, it brings together um, thought leaders and providers and scientists from all of our major um, academic medical centers, but also uh, community medicine centers and also health and hospitals corporation, which, by the way, has played a ginormous role in uh, extending the uh, the reach, and I won't say scope, extending the reach and scope <laughs> of greening <laughs> in the city. Uh, they've done a tremendous job. So C5 is uh, an awareness and... Um, and uh, Screening and Prevention Advocacy Group in New York City. Wonderful. They have, and, and Matthew, really quickly, they've done such an amazing job in New York City with screening the 50 and over and also closing racial disparities amongst, like, Russian, you know, African-Americans, mm -hmm. Hispanics. So now I was very grateful, and, of course, you know, Dr. Weber, again, my hero, um, brought up at, at our last meeting the importance for research of why so many people under 50 are getting diagnosed. And a lot of people are healthy. I don't think I really was, but there are a lot of people that are that don't really fit the stereotype. Right. And we have doctors like Dr. Weber who's fighting for us young people. Well, you raised an issue, and this is for Andrew. Um, Andrew, at the CCA, do you see um, uh, an upsurge in participation or um, requests for information from disparate populations more than ever? Yeah, um, we do. Unfortunately, the um, disparate populations in the U.S. are hit particularly hard with colon cancer. Uh, the African-American and Hispanic populations are, are the number one and number two most, um, <clears throat> excuse me, most affected by colon cancer when you look at statistics. Uh, they screen the least. They're diagnosed at the latest stages. They die younger. Uh, there's a huge issue for access uh, to screening. There's, ac there's access issues to uh, top-quality care. And if that weren't bad enough, there's also, um, you know, issue, there's social issues uh, in getting the colonoscopy test in some of those communities, especially among men who uh, have stigmas 
for getting, uh, you know, a, a colonoscopy tube snaked up the rectum. And so as a result, we see extremely low um, screening rates in those communities, and, uh, and that uh, translates directly into higher incidence rates and, and higher death rates. So it's a big problem um, and uh, another one of the problems that we're hoping to tackle uh, going forward. Right, so it's basically there's a cultural stigma within the community itself. We, we did a show on breast cancer last September, and we had members of the African-American community discuss disparities. And one of them mentioned how in Africa, and I don't want to go international here, but in Africa, if you have cancer, you're considered homosexual and a pariah, and you've done it to yourself, and it's a religious thing. And that's just that's their, that's the culture. It may not, you know, who would judge right or wrong is what they are, but it. That's kind of the the mentality is like there's I don't want to get this thing stuck stuck up my butt because I'm a man and and is that the gist of you know getting people to realize that you know you put your health first and it's not about machismo. You know you you look at you look at different studies of different populations. You see uh, studies that show Hispanic women feel that it's a fatalistic thing. If God meant me to. Um, get colon cancer, then I should get colon cancer. You look at overweight white women, and what is their stigma? It's that they don't want to be naked in front of a doctor. You look at uh, African-American males and Hispanic males, uh, you know, you nailed it right on the head that you're gay. You went and got a colonoscopy, you're gay. So there's these stigmas, and, and, you know, we can all shake our heads and say how silly, but you can't do that because they actually do exist. And one of the things that can work for some of those communities are alternative screening methods. You know, we all talk about the colonoscopy because it's the gold standard test and it's a really effective test, but there are other tests out there that are very effective in, in uh, detecting colon cancer that those communities um, ought to consider and continue to have conversations with their doctors, even if they refuse to get a colonoscopy. Um, and I know Dr. Weber will agree that the best test that a person can get is the one that they actually will get. So. I definitely ask your listeners to keep that in mind, that if the only reason they haven't screened for colon cancer is they don't want that dreaded colonoscopy, there are other tests out there that are highly effective and well worth getting. Well, we were on the, Vanessa and I were at the Katie Couric show last Friday, and she dedicated the whole show to cancer. And, of course, you know, her husband passed away from it. She's a national spokesperson. And she, you know, she joked that the worst part of the colonoscopy is the night before. And it's like the unspoken truth of you know, and like and, and you know, it's it's like one day of your life, you know, to get this process yeah. done. And and it's like the people who've had one are like, All right, I'll, if I have to get one I'll get one. But the people who it's like the unsuspecting, you know, like punked episode which people don't understand this little thing has the potency of dynamite <laughs> it's entering your body the night before. But yeah. is, is that a deterrent or is is that another part of the, I don't want to do this, I want to go through that? Uh, I think this is where uh, providers can be extremely helpful to uh, explain the process and support support their patients. And also, many centers have adopted um, patient navigators, and actually the New York City Health Department has been a very strong advocate and has actually uh, invested usually in patient navigators. I think every one of the uh, Health and Hospital Corporation hospitals has navigators for their colonoscopy programs, and I, I think they've successfully extended it to a number of our academic medical centers as well. Certainly, uh, Dr. Itzkowitz at Mount Sinai 
has uh, been working with navigators for many years and has written really uh, excellent uh, research work to show that it not only helps the uh, the patients, but it helps the bottom line of the institution by making sure that patients are turning up on time and that they've gotten through their prep uh, and that they're ready to go. So, yeah, the prep is not a trivial issue, but I think this is where providers need to step in, support their patients, explain the process, and uh, uh, encourage their patients to get it done. And, um, you know, however uncomfortable it may be to go through a prep, uh, it's nothing compared to having colorectal cancer. Oh, hands down. Definitely. And one of the... uh I was watching a clip from a couple of years ago. It was when Katie Kirk was still in the Today Show, and they made Al Roker get a uh, colonoscopy on TV, and they showed the whole process where he was drinking. I, I don't remember what the drink is you have to drink to prepare for a colonoscopy, but they show him drinking it. And Liquid then, death. <laughs> he, he runs back and forth to the bathroom, and he has a stack of toilet paper outside the bathroom, and they show him running back and forth. And grabbing a roll of trivia as he runs in, and then he goes to the doctor the next day, who I will say, at one point, we had the same gastro doctor, and he says to him, um, it was Dr. Uh, Dr. Yaffe, he says, Dr. Yaffe, I rode the porcelain pony all night. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, man, that's actually pretty funny. But I do worry that, you know, we're just talking about it is that I do fear that it's a turn for some people because they're afraid of feeling sick. And can you let people know, like, without getting too graphic, just that the process isn't as gory and traumatic as it, people might think. Well, it's not it's not painful if that's what you're referring to. I mean, you know, you have to you have to you have to go through the process, but uh, it's not really associated with any cramping, abdominal pain, or discomfort in that sense. So I think that's important, and I strongly agree with Andrew that there are. There are alternatives, and as uh, Dr. Winower, one of the leaders of the C5, always reminds us, as Andrew said, the best test is a completed test. There are other options. There are. Uh, what others? What are some of the other well, options? They they revolve around testing a stool for blood, mm-hmm. and uh, so those tests have actually advanced uh, dramatically in terms of sensitivity and specificity. So there are uh, immunohistochemical. Uh, tests that are now available that work very, very well. Um, there are also tests that um, check the stool for abnormal DNA that might be associated with having a uh, large polyp or or a cancer. So, and then those tests, um, so-called stool DNA tests, are also recognized by the American Cancer Society as an option. So, I agree with Andrew. There are there are other options, and uh, this is why uh, the foundation and the alliance encourage encourage uh, people to review these options with their their physicians. And Cindy, why don't you tell us a little bit about what is next for you guys for the Colon Cancer Challenge Foundation? What are you guys looking forward to for the rest of this year? What are some of your goals besides you know, taking over the world? <laughs> besides <laughs> your events in New York, what are some of the other uh, things you guys have going on? Their listeners can get involved with. Well, we uh, we are very pleased to, as I mentioned, be launching our national challenge. So we have we have folks all over the country who are um, initiating events on our behalf. Um, we have one family out in Chicago who will be hiking a, 
a, a famous trail out there on our behalf, a family in Boca Raton who, um, who, who was going to be hosting their second annual walk, um, raising awareness for colorectal cancer on behalf of, the, of their um, aunt that they lost 10 years ago. Um, so families all over the country will be doing this. Um, so we're just, we're just thrilled to be able to provide them with a platform um, to do that um, in their own communities. And in addition, we'll be hosting um, additional events of our own here in the tri-state area. So, so be on the lookout. You can always um, refer to our website, which is coloncancerchallenge.org, for information on our uh, on our events um, and ways to get involved. And we we love to encourage people to to just you know pick up the phone and call us and 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 talk to us and and talk through their stories. Um, you know, it's just amazing the the, the stories we hear from. The young survivors like Brielle, Matthew, you mentioned Brielle, young 26-year-old. Um, you know, and, of course, the sad stories, too, from the families that have lost really young um, young family members. We just had a mother call in the other day who lost her 23-year-old son here in Jersey. Um, so the good with the bad. Um, but one colon at a time, Matthew, conquering the world. <laughs> All right, Andrew, Andrew, last word. we got to wrap. Uh, what's, what's going on with TCCA? By the way, I, I want you guys to all come to Las Vegas. you got to be there. In the spirit of the young adult cancer movement, personal invites to all of you to come to Vegas. Anyway, Andrew, last word. Doesn't take much arm pulling to get me to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the last word is you know uh, we also have events around the country that people can participate in, and I would just encourage people to go to our main website ccalliance.org, or go to our 5K Walk website, which is undy5000.org. And you undy heard that right, 5, undy. UNDY5000.org, and that's where we give you a pair of boxer shorts, and we encourage everybody to raise awareness to that part of the body that people don't want to talk about, and it's a it's a great sight to see thousands running around in their underwear to raise awesome. awareness about colon cancer. So uh, we really do appreciate you uh, covering this really important yeah. topic that doesn't get covered enough, and uh, I really appreciate you including yeah. me. Awesome, yeah. awesome, fantastic. Thank you for including us. Yes, always a pleasure, guys. National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month runs through the end of the month. We are joined by uh, Andrew Spiegel, the CEO of the Colon Cancer Alliance, and Thomas Weberson, the Barassi of the Colon Cancer Channel Foundation. Thank you guys so much for being on the Stupid Cancer Show. Good luck, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Thank you. Great. Thank you again. Thank you. <laughs> Got a vote of confidence from a dog in the background. <laughs> Good stuff. Vanessa, was that satisfying? That was amazing. That was actually amazing. Good, good stuff? stuff. Yes. Very All right. cool. We got a vote. We got a thumbs up from Vanessa Gigliotti. And if you don't if you, she doesn't like you, she'll kill you. Uh, I'm from New York City, I just might. <laughs> yeah. uh. Break your kneecaps, yo. All right, that was my horrible I can't do a Brooklyn accent accent anymore. And you're from there. And I'm from there. All right. Well, I don't know where Kenny went, so I will announce his uh section here, but that is our show. Allie, approved? Approved. Good. You know, it's funny that we're talking about it because my mom's getting her colonoscopy on Thursday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think she might have had one before, but she's 72 years old. So we were talking the other day. We went to the pharmacy. We got all the prep. I actually went through with her the different types of preps and said, well, based on my experiences of my many colonoscopies, I could tell you that this, I think, is the easiest prep or this one tastes the best. Or, right. Mix it with ice cream. Um, so it's, it's funny that we're talking about it because, yeah. like, she's having hers on Thursday. I get colonoscopies every two years, um, ever since I was treated for cancer, because my radiation affected my entire bowel. I had to and get I was mine 21. Every two. Mm. So I had I had a pre-existing condition that warranted routine colonoscopies, and honestly, every two years they take some crap out. 
So do you want to hear? I have a really <laughs> no quick pun intended. intended. <laughs> yeah. I have a really quick, like, uh, kind of embarrassing colonoscopy story. So Dr. Winnewer, who was the former head of C5, but he's still on it, he's like this really uh, major guy, like, as far as colonoscopies are concerned. And he's with uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, where we both got treated, Matthew. Yes. And he... So I went to my Are you first. stalking me? Yes, <laughs> I went to my first C5 meeting um, five years ago. The day before, I had a colonoscopy, and so of course he came over. You're all clear. Like he's just amazing. His bedside manner is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So the next morning, who do I run into there? Him. So I'm introduced to the whole C5 panel. Nice. And he, I, I don't think I've ever been more embarrassed in my life. So I'm telling Dr. Weber, and he goes, "Are you kidding me? You should be proud. Do you know who did your colonoscopy?" So. Awesome. I'm proud now. Yeah. I think I think I have to add that to the list of my tasks because I'm BRCA1 positive. So I think I have to add that to my list of uh, bazillion tests I have to have to make sure I don't get another type of cancer besides breast cancer. Um, just for the listeners who don't know, BRCA1, which I actually thought my family had, mm-hmm. um, but we tested negative, that's when you have a whole generation of breast cancer in one generation, and right. the next generation is supposed to go either ovarian or uterine, if I'm not mistaken. I'm the first one in my family to actually get cancer, so we don't know. So you have to watch your kids. I don't have any yet, but one day, <laughs> one day, yeah, we shall see. Well? I think it's time to say goodnight. I think it is time to say goodnight. I feel like queuing up that song from Sound of Music. So long, farewell, farewell I'll be I can't remember any more than that. I have that. no idea. I've never seen it. All right. Well, let's go with this instead. Our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo! <laughs> You've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Alrighty, folks, that's our show, episode 259. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Our special guests, Pat Spain, Andrew Spiegel, Thomas Weber, Cindy Barassi, Vanessa Gigliotti, our special surprise in-studio expert survivor, colon, next, uh, palooza. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty, on next week's show, join us as we discuss Obamacare, aka the Affordable Care Act, and other healthcare policy issues with distinguished guest Wendell Potter, author of Deadly Spin, an insurance company insider, speaks out on how corporate PR is killing healthcare and deceiving Americans. And Rick Unger, political pundit and Forbes.com contributor, and Survivor Spotlight on young adult colon cancer survivor Alma Heishi. Amazing. Still with the colon cancer. All righty, folks. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Kenny Kane, Andy Goodwin, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, folks. We'll see you back here next Monday, live at 8. Later. Good night. Good night. Good night.